My conversation today is with McKenna Wrights. McKenna is a TEDx speaker and coach who helps individuals reframe challenges as opportunities and pursue their purpose with confidence. She draws on her own experience with alopecia to inspire others to find growth and opportunity in their own struggles. She has 17 years of experience teaching AP psychology and coaching varsity volleyball and has been featured in Forbes, Good Morning America, Mind Body Green, ABC, CBS, NBC. I could keep going, but I will just sum it up by saying that she is in high demand. So thank you so much for being with me here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be with you. Thank you. So I shared a little bit about your background already, but could you just share sort of at a high level kind of your story and specifically within the story, what has really been an influence on where you are today? Yeah, um, I am the cliche story where I was going to, you know, I was in high school and I already knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I come from a, my mom was a teacher and saw how she impacted people and I saw and felt and knew how my teachers impacted me. And so I went to college knowing already that I wanted to be a teacher, that whole cliche um, opportunity and wanting to coach volleyball. I was a college athlete, played volleyball at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and uh, got my degree, did the whole picket fence story. I hit all of my goals by 32. Uh, My husband and I were pregnant with our Second, we had the house. I had the master's degree, the great job, a beautiful three-year-old at home. My husband had a great job. And I remember saying to myself, all right, I've hit all of my goals in life. I have the quote unquote picket fence. Now what? And I, two months later, we had our youngest Maddox in May of 2015. And In the next couple months, what I had noticed is that my hair had started to shed a little bit. And I just thought it was the normal postpartum hair shed that women go through. And what I had noticed as I started teaching in end of August, you know, it's very busy, stressful time. Volleyball in Ohio starts August 1. Teaching started. My husband coaches college volleyball. We have a three-month, four-month-old at home. And I noticed that my hair was starting to cover my shoulders, that it was shedding that much. And I went to a dermatologist and they said, well, you could have something called alopecia and you could lose all your hair. You know, as a woman or any person in life, that is the last thing that you ever want to hear. And so we did some topical creams in order to slow it down. And by the end of October, when season ended, meaning stress started to become relieved a little bit, I will never forget that next weekend, the first weekend of November, we were taking family pictures. And when we got them back, I saw a picture of myself with my youngest. She was only four months old at the time. And my hair was substantially thin. Like, wow. Cause I had really thick, beautiful, brown, wavy hair. By the end of the week, I was standing in the shower with my hands full of hair. And I was in complete disbelief that I felt it was that worst nightmare that it was actually coming true. Could this really be happening to me? I had been known for my hair since I was five years old. Everyone knew me because of my hair, because it was so thick. It was so wavy. It was beautiful. And I felt as though with every strand of hair that fell out, my identity was being ripped away from me. As women, we subconsciously identify ourselves with our hair, with our physical characteristics. And I kept thinking to myself, how am I going to be a mom? Is my husband still going to love me? Um, 
you know, how am I going to do this when I'm 70 years old? Am I going to be wearing wigs? Like how, you know, just so many thoughts going through my head of how am I going to do this within three weeks, all of my hair was gone. And I was diagnosed with the autoimmune disease called alopecia. And it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your hair follicles and causes your hair to fall out. And there's three different types. There's areata, which is bald spots on the head. There's totalis, which is entire hair loss on your head. And then there's universalis, which is losing every hair in your body. And within the next year, every single hair, including my eyebrows, my eyelashes were gone. It's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> um, you know, you, you go through dark storm and that I went through a dark storm. I went through a very dark storm, but I remember my mom asking me, McKenna, how do you get up? How do you get up every day? And I said, mom, there's no other choice. I have two beautiful daughters at home that are watching my every move. I have a husband who loves me unconditionally. And I remember him saying, McKenna, it's only hair. But to me in that point, I'm like, how do you not understand? It's so much more than hair. Um, and I had students and student athletes that were relying on me. And so I got up every day because there was no other choice. Now, did, were I, was I having great days? No. Uh, but I would come home and I would cry. I would cry a lot, but I made sure I did it behind closed doors so my daughters wouldn't hear or see me because I wanted to show my daughters that we can fight anything. But it was really difficult when you're you're battling that dark storm. And I did, I went to the dermatologist, I did everything under the sun from topical creams to women's Rogaine to uh, weekly steroid injections into my scalp for six months. And what I realized is that nothing was working and I needed to stop everything because I just, I physically and mentally couldn't take it anymore. Uh, but this, you know, alopecia forever changed my life. But over the past seven years, what I've realized is that Alopecia happened for me. When you're in the middle of the dark storm, it's hard to see the light. And you have to keep fighting because there's so many whys, there's so many purposes. And I wanted to show my daughters that we need to accept and love everyone unconditionally. We need to accept adversity. We need to accept and love diversity because that's what it makes our art world so, so amazing. And they're my why. They're my why, why I'm able to sit here and talk to you bald and proud and confident and loving my life. Wow. I, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I can see the impact that you've had on other people and can just imagine the impact that you've had on, on people who I don't even, who I haven't even seen, whether it's in, not in clubhouse or through the summit that you do. You, so you started that conversation about you being a teacher and you're an AP psychology teacher right now. I'm also really interested in psychology. It was one of the things that I went to school for, and I can see how it plays into my life every single day. It's interesting to understand how the brain works and some of the psychological processes that happen when we have certain experiences, whether they're positive or negative. And it's one thing to comprehend logically, but emotionally, that's a totally different thing. Like, for example, you might read 10 books about coping or emotional healing or somebody going through something that you could never imagine going through. But reading those books or understanding these things are completely different than actually experiencing it firsthand. So I'm curious for you with a background in understanding psychology, do you think that having a background in psychology had an influence at all on your physical experience going through this? 
I'm going to say that it wasn't just my background of having the psychology background, but more of being in front of 16, 17, 18 year old students every single day. I always get the question, when was the moment? When was the moment you were able to walk out and knew that you were confident? You know, when was that turning moment? And I always kept saying, you know, there wasn't one moment because it's a journey. Nothing happens overnight as much as I prayed that I could wake up and my hair was back. But it was the moment when I was losing my hair and my hair started receding backwards. I was wearing a headband to cover up the bald spots, using makeup to, you know, to cover up the bald spots in the back. And I stood in front of my students and I said, my hair is falling out. We don't know why. And I'm going to start to look different. That moment of vulnerability, that moment of just opening up to for people to know, one, I'm not sick because there's nothing physically wrong with me internally. I just don't have hair. It's just falling out. But that moment of vulnerability allowed me to just give myself some space and allowing my students just be like, hey, I know she's going through something. But that's what's so important is that as human beings, we compare our challenges, our losses, our stories to everyone else's all the time. And the problem is, is that we, when we are comparing, we are taking away what is most beautiful about that challenge because we say, oh, I'm not as strong as you or my challenge isn't as, you know, as horrible as yours. Everyone is battling something. Everyone has a story. And that's what I get to talk to my students about every day is that we used to look at our teachers as they don't leave the school. They don't have a life. They are, they're just robots. I'm human, just like you. And at such a vulnerable age of being 16, 17, 18 years old, trying to figure out what you want to do the rest of your life, you have so many pressures coming at you. And to know that there are other people that are struggling, there are other people that are going through challenges in life, it allows you to take a deep breath. And having alopecia, knowing that my journey, my story is visible, where everyone else can walk through the grocery store, walk into my classroom with a smile on their face, and pretend like everything's okay, where I am now able to feel the energy as they walk in. I know when their smile isn't at their full capacity. I know I feel their energy. It has allowed me to be able to relate on a different level and connect with my students where it's also become a therapy session for me. I use a hashtag in my class, psych is life. As you said, everything that we talk about in my AP psych class, we can relate to life. And that's what life is all about is when we're able to apply it to our own life, we're able to have that deeper level of processing, which creates the long-term potentiation of that neuronal connection. I'm going nerd talk right now, but it creates that deep connection. And, you know, being able to talk about my journey from when I was standing in the shower with my hands full of hair to now, you know, people ask me if you could get your hair back, would you? And I say, absolutely not. Because what I've been able to do is turn all of the negativity into the positivity to be able to see the beauty instead of the darkness. I've been able to reframe my life challenge of losing my hair, of being a bald woman in society into this incredible gift and opportunity to be able to empower others 
And I get to do that every single day with my students. And so then I get to take every psych term all the time and be able to apply to them because when they go to take the AP psych exam, they have to be able to apply it. I don't care that you can define it, but how can you define it? And so we're constantly defining it to their lives. And I actually use a technique called, i not called, everyone knows it, but I use hashtags. So when I'm talking about, you know, a term, what are key words associations? And when they can create a hashtag that fits for them, when we sit down to practice or review for the AP exam, they don't have to study 700 terms. They're just going to have to review maybe a hundred because of that deeper level of processing. And so we just get to have amazing discussions. We get to talk about life. We get to talk about the challenges that they're going through and they know that they're not alone, that I'm human and I have battles too. And knowing that it's okay not to be okay um, allows them just to understand that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, that's great. And those, that's a really good technique. I I would imagine just your understanding things like psych teachers in general, when you have a better understanding of how the brain works and are able to kind of help inspire kids to learn rooted in psychology, as opposed to kind of how we're taught in general. So that's, that's really neat that you're able to kind of use your experience and your creative side and understanding psych to help your students with it. I'm curious, what was the response of your students? Like, take me back to that class day when you told them. And I know it took a lot of vulnerability from you. Uh, What was the response from your students? Nothing but support. It was nothing but love and support. I think the biggest thing was that there's such a big question mark. There wasn't a cause for my hair to fall. There wasn't something that you can pinpoint. There was nothing physically wrong with me. And so that made the question mark to be even bigger. Uh, But the fact that I just said, hey, guys, you know, something's going on, it allowed them just to give me my distance that I needed. And it was also my second year of teaching AP Psych or third, yeah, second year of teaching AP Psych. And it was a really defining moment. I think more, you know, as a human being, but as a teacher, that I have this opportunity in front of me to teach my students life. Yes, I have to teach a curriculum. Yes, I have to teach to a test. But as I'm doing that, I get to teach them life. And it freed me of hiding. It freed me of the anxiety that I had. Now, did I continue on? You know, yes. Am I able to be more vulnerable every single day? Yes. And I'm very grateful for my students every single day for the past seven years of accepting me for who I am. It's so interesting that your immediate response was nothing but support, because I think so often when we expect a certain outcome or are anticipating something, we have so much anxiety and worry about what somebody is going to say when we're going to be vulnerable. We almost expect for there to be some sort of negativity or make it up in our minds. But what I found is a lot of times and maybe not 100 percent of the time, because I think that's a hard statistic to bet on. But what's interesting is every time I talk to somebody who shares a time that they were vulnerable, and even for me, when I had written my book, again, not that writing a book is similar to any of those experiences or your experiences, but it was a time where I felt so much anxiety and worry because I anticipated the negative feedback. And what I found is exactly what you said, nothing but support. And so why is it that our brain always tells us to be worried about coming and being vulnerable when that ends up being the outcome. Like I said, it's maybe not 100% of the time, but I think it's just so fascinating that our brain always tells us to be nervous for whatever reason, when in reality, 
if you're vulnerable and you're, you know, being yourself, a majority of the time people come out with support with that. And that is a a great discussion for a different day because we can go into the fear of failure and it's a survival mechanism that we can't fail because, you know, we could eat the poisonous berry or we could, you know, get away from our pack and fall off a cliff, you know, and that's the thing of, we are so scared. We are on such a survival still instincts that the whole, what ifs, what if I fail, what reframe it to what if I succeed? And so when we realize the thoughts in our mind, when we become more conscientious to seeing, is it more negative thoughts or positive thoughts, focusing on what we are and are not in control over. And we're always control over our thoughts. And so when we can become more conscientious about those thoughts, take a step back and really think about what if they say yes, you know, and that's the thing of, you know, when I ask people for sponsorships for my, you know, alopecia awareness, what, what's the worst people can say? No. And then you say, I appreciate your time and, you know, thank you and move on. But when they say yes, your whole life, just your whole brain just lights up and it's, it's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible feeling. And then hopefully it creates that domino effect and feeds into the next thought, into the next thought. And so when we, and that's been my, my saving grace is that when I would be in the grocery store and I'd be wearing, you know, my Under Armour baseball cap, because I wouldn't go to the grocery store bald, people would come up to me and ask, are you going through treatment? And what I started to notice, you know, why is it that initially people automatically think that I'm dying, that I'm going through treatment? Why can't we think maybe they have alopecia? And so I wanted to become, you know, I wanted to educate this world that it happens to 6.8 million Americans. And the more awareness I can bring that we can stop looking at the negativity, we can stop judging people initially and see the positive rather than the negative. But again, that takes a lot of neuronal connections to transform it because we have been, we are innately programmed, I believe, in order to see that negative, to be in that survival, to do the fight or flight. Um, And so it's very fascinating. It's very fascinating of us being coming more conscientious about our mindset. Yeah. Sometimes I think how easy and nice would it be if we could just merge our emotional part of our brain and our logical part of our brain. There's serious mental health problems that need to be addressed. And then, but then sometimes there's more minor ones that a majority of the time we know exactly logically that what we're thinking is not accurate, but we, it's so Mm -hmm. hard to bridge those. But like you said, that's not the way that we were designed. And sometimes I think of even, you know, if we think about how biases and certain ways that we're wired, it can be frustrating right away. But then you realize like, if I were to think about in an alternate universe where we could hypothetically merge our logical and emotional parts of our brain. Like where's the human experience in that? Right. Or like, even when people say, Oh, if I was just 20 years old and knew this advice verbally, then I would have everything figured out and I'd, I'd live a great life, but no, it's about learning that experience and, and working through it. So it's interesting that sometimes, you know, it'd be so nice if we could merge those, those parts of our brain or have everything figured out. But in reality, that would take away the whole point of the human experience and how we're designed to, experience life. One, I couldn't agree more. Like, you know, just even trying to teach my students implicit bias. Am I upset as a human being that I do have that implicit bias? Yes. (laughs) I try to be 
the perfect person and not ever judge, but it happens. We're human because that exactly what you talked about, that we have been programmed that way, but the more conscientious we can become and change our actions just a little bit more. But that's, what's allowed me to get to this point that if I didn't go through the struggle, and I mean, I still struggle in different things. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, but if I hadn't gone through that dark storm, if I wasn't given this mountain, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you right now. I wouldn't be doing, have gone on good morning America. I wouldn't have done so many things. I wouldn't have the self-love that I have that it took me losing my hair and six years of battling it to be able to look in my, the reflection and say, I see beauty. I am enough. And that's, it's exactly that we have to live life and life teaches us so many amazing things. And I always say to, especially to my players, we have to lose in order to win. We have to, we have to grow because of our losses, because of our failures. And we become stronger emotionally and psychologically and then physically because of it. Yeah. And and you bring up the vulnerability piece of it. And I I see the vulnerability in your story in two different parts, obviously had to go through your experience. And I think that in itself was vulnerable, being able to speak up to your students and, and share that and just going through that experience as a whole took a lot of vulnerability. And then even after you changed your mindset, after you got through that, then you went even further to make the decision to spread awareness outwardly and using what you went through to help other people. The first part in itself took a lot of vulnerability. And then now that vulnerability in there. So there's a lot of questions that are coming up for me thinking about this. What made you decide to, once you've changed your mindset and, and were able to get through, continuing to go through that, right? But what made you actually decide to you know do your TEDx talk and some of the other initiatives that kind of came out of having alopecia afterwards? Uh, it's really kind of a funny story when I was, it's probably about year two, we'll go about year two. And I'd been doing some research and I had been a part of some support groups on Facebook, which for me was the worst thing that could ever happen because there was so much negativity in those support groups, but I somehow came across the national alopecia Ariata foundation. And I noticed that they do team up events Uh, during September, which is Alopecia Awareness Month, and they do team-up events with Major League Baseball teams. Now, I am from Toledo. My dad is from Cleveland, and we are huge Cleveland Indians, well, now Guardians fans, and noticed that they didn't have a team-up event with the Guardians or the Indians at that time. And so I just said, oh, I'm just going to email them. And they said, well, you know, long story short, they had trouble working with them, and I didn't accept that. And it gave me a purpose, it allowed me to sublimate, redirect my my anger into something good. And I kept on it, kept talking to the you know Cleveland Indians and talking, talking, talking. And finally, I got the message saying, we want to do it. And it was, it gave me that light. It gave me that purpose that I was needing in order to distract my negativity and replace it with positivity. And I started doing with Toledo Mudhens, which is the farm team for Detroit Tigers. And I felt myself day by day, little by little, starting to stand a little bit taller. And for many years, I kept saying alopecia gave me my purpose. 
it allowed me to bring awareness for alopecia. More and more people, at least in the Toledo community, know more about alopecia. And it's allowed me to meet others who I, I always felt like a woolly mammoth. I'd never known anyone else with alopecia. I got to meet others with alopecia. I've got to, you know, empower others who have alopecia. But now I've learned in the past year or two that it didn't show me my purpose. It opened up my eyes to what my real purpose was. And that was a revelation for me that I felt alopecia had given me a purpose, but it actually showed me my purpose has always been there, but I was refusing to see it. And it's to empower others to be able to reframe our mindsets, to be able to find the silver linings, even when you have to dig so damn deep to find them, they're there. And once you find that silver lining, hold on to it and allow it to pull you up because it will open up so many incredible opportunities that, you know, have empowered me beyond belief. You know, when I talked about my husband saying, McKenna, it's just hair. It took me six years to be able to realize it really is just hair to him because I was my own worst enemy. I couldn't see that it was just hair. I couldn't see beyond the hair loss. And now I do. I realize that I have been given alopecia for a reason to finally see the light, to finally see what my purpose is. And it has challenged me in the most amazing ways that I, I am blessed. I, 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 I love what I get to do. I love, you know, I get to share my story. I get to tell people that and show people and empower them that they're not alone. They, they really aren't. And, you know, we all are battling something, but mine's just visible. Yeah. I I would imagine there's three different, I'm going to put them into three different buckets. There's three probably different people who are listening to this. There's, I think the people who have gone through a significant difficult life experience, um, not necessarily alopecia, but something to where they kind of learn that there's people who are maybe currently going through one, whatever that is, you know, again, it looks different for everybody. And then also I think there's people out there who maybe can't directly relate to it, at least right now at the current point in their life where they haven't experienced a specific difficult experience. And, you know, you speak a lot about, and I am sure, and I know I'm confident that you have inspired a lot of people in all of those categories. But what I am curious to know, because you've been through each of those stages at different points in your life, but considering the feelings that you had in those specific moments and given what you know now, what advice would you give to each of those three different types of people? When we hear other people's stories, we immediately start comparing. Like I talked about before that, you know, I've been through, you know, the ringer, but it has nothing to compare to what you've been going through. No, 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 no. Our mountains are different. You can't say that mine's just a molehill compared to your mountain. We need to be inspired by others. We need to be inspired by others sharing their message. That whole, you know, your mess is your message, and but your message is medicine for other people because it, it allows them to know that I don't care if it's a mole, if it's a molehill to me, I'm still going to be here to support you unconditionally. If it's big to you, then I'm going to be there for you. It might not be big, big to me, but that doesn't matter. It's not me. It's not my life. And if you're going through it right now, I am proof that you are able 
to fight that dark storm. I am proof that light does shine. Even when we feel that the darkness is forever, because I truly believe that it was forever and I didn't know how I was going to survive, but I am proof that we are able to reframe our mindset. And for those who don't think that they've ever gone through most likely you're comparing again. You've all been through something, whether it's in second grade being bullied or failing a math test, you've been through challenges, but every day prepares us and you need to prepare your mindset for what could potentially happen. The stronger you can build your mindset every single day, the stronger and the more you can see what you are in control over. I live by a quote and I happen to see it a couple years after losing my hair when I was working out by the, and I use, I talk about it all the time by Captain Jack Sparrow of Pirates of Caribbean that the problem is not the problem. The problem is the attitude about the problem. We focus so damn much energy on what we don't have control of because we want to be in control, especially as women. I want to be in control. I want to fix everyone's problems and I want to fix my problem. And so I'm going to put all of my resources, all of my energy and go into the the reservoir, the reserve tank in order to be able to fix it. But the problem is, is that I still couldn't bring back my hair. But what I did have control over and what I always have control over is my attitude about alopecia. Do not allow whatever challenge you have to define you, to hold you back from not allowing you to take pictures with your daughter's first Christmas that I only took two pictures because I was so ashamed and embarrassed of how I looked. I allowed it to define me too long. Once I started to define it and once I started taking control of it and controlling my mindset and my attitude about it, I walked a little taller and I realized that I am enough and that I am worth it and that I have this opportunity in front of me to not only educate people about alopecia, but I get to talk about life's challenges and that we are going to be battling something every single day, whether it's daily, you know, traffic on the 405 in LA, or it's not figuring out what to make for dinner to losing your hair. Every day we have challenges. It's how you approach it. It's how you take that step back and think about, do I have control over it? If you do, go do it, figure it out, be in control over it. But if you're not in control over it, what are you in control over is your attitude because there's so many things that are out of our reach and out of our control. And the sooner we can realize that, and it's taken me 40 years to figure that out, <laughs> life is beautiful. Where were you at in your journey when you heard that quote? And where were you at in your journey when you really felt like that quote made a difference, when you were able to really believe, and it could be the same same time, right? When you heard it, you believe it. But I think a lot of times there's quotes that I don't really learn until I experience something. So so when was that for you? About year two. Year two. Um, so probably about 2017. I happened to be at our workout. I was at a workout and someone wrote that wrote that quote up. And I just looked at it. And then you you keep repeating it for it to make sense. And I just kept repeating it to myself. And then I would stop and, you know, you know, say the first line and then like, yeah, like, yeah, like I'm going into my coaching phase. Like, 
that makes sense. Like, of course I don't have control of you, but it's not, again, it wasn't an overnight phenomenon. It was a, we have to, the whole, I know it's stupid to say, but fake it till you make it, but it's repeated until you believe it. Wow. That, wow. That was pretty good. But um, <laughs> did you just come up with that or was that something I you sure heard? did like that? I'm like, wow. yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, um, it just made sense. And more and more, it got deeper and deeper into my heart. And because I, I'm a very competitive person. I love being in control. I mean, it's, I think it's innate, like I said, as women, but, um, I had to take a breath. And when I stopped all of my, you know, all of my treatments and started to focus on my attitude about it. And then I started to see that quote and start over and over, you know, it just, it made sense a little more and a little more every single day. And now it's my mantra. One of the things you had brought up too before in your advice was finding people who inspire you. And I actually remember there was a clubhouse room that we were in that you were talking about reinvention or the topic was reinvention. Uh, but you'd said we, when we reinvent ourselves, we must surround ourselves with people who inspire, empower, encourage, and challenge us. And that made me curious about who inspires you. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for remembering that. that yeah. That's amazing. Um, my husband, you know, I'm very blessed. I have the most amazing parents. My parents live a mile away. My mom is my rock. My dad is my everything. Uh, but when you get into, you know, meeting your significant other, you want someone who is going to support you, but also know your potential and continue challenging. And I think that's what makes our marriage so amazing. We are yin and yang. He is very, very right-brained <laughs> where I am more left-brained. Um, he is more type B where I'm more type A, but it works because all of my weaknesses are his strengths and vice versa. And everything that I want to accomplish, when I said, I'm going out bald, he's like, thankfully, like, thank God, like, finally, I've been waiting for you to do it, but he didn't pressure me because he is able to know what I need when I need it. And that's from comfort to being challenged to being, you know, almost demanded to do something because I'm in my own damn way. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that I have a husband that believes in me, uh, believes in my full potential and has stuck by my side through thick and thin, through all of the tears um, and loving me beyond my hair. And, you know, I, every year we talk about what are, what are our goals? What are two, you know, our next year's wins and they get bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper of support. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Has your relationship with him changed quite a bit from, or when you got married kind of through your journey of having alopecia and to now, do you feel like your relationship has changed? Oh, it's definitely strengthened. That's for sure. Uh, you know, in our beginning of our marriage, we were doing the whole cookie cutter life. Like I said, that picket fence and we were somewhat complacent and we both are not okay being complacent. We want to always better ourselves. And it was funny because I was talking with my students. We just finished 
talking about motivation and talking about Maslow and his hierarchy of needs and wanting to reach full potential and wanting to reach self-actualization. And we never want to be there because we want to continue striving. We love hitting goals and then exceeding the goals. What's next? What's next? Um, and alopecia has just at first, when I thought it threw a wrench into, you know, our possible marriage or it wrench into my life and how was it going to affect our marriage? It actually created this beautiful ray of sunshine of opening our eyes to so many other possibilities that we never gave ourselves ability to even think could even exist. Um, and so I think like all marriages, you have the highs and lows. If you don't fight, then it's not a great marriage. Um, but you have to have that, that foundation and the foundation of the core values. And those core values are still always there. Now we're just trying to continue improving upon them while supporting another and pushing each other. Like I go to his, you know, if he's playing volleyball and he misses a serve, you know, I'll be like, boo, like, you know, and that's the same thing, you know, back to us. And when we're in each other's gyms, as he's coaching or I'm coaching, we're going to tell each other, like, you should have done this. And that respect is what's most important that, you know, where it's coming from. And it's out of a sign of respect because I have him up at a pedestal and I'm a lucky wife. That's for sure. Yeah. One thing I, I was thinking about that we didn't talk about specifically. Um, and you kind of talked about it in the beginning a little bit about the different factors that actually helped you change your mindset a little bit, because I know one of the things you talk about is confidence and the confidence that you actually gained through your hair loss. And I think it's one thing to talk about the importance of the mindset and, you know, when things are going well, it's easy to have a good mindset and it's another to actually go through something like you did with physically changing your mindset. Like you said, it's a process and it, it takes time. But I know you'd, you'd mentioned your your husband with inspiring you and your and your parents as well. What were the other main external or internal factors? They could be either external or internal that played a role in helping you change your mindset. Just keep going. Like when I I love talking about going all in. But you have to have a good definition for what does all in mean. All in doesn't mean running through a brick wall. All in means whatever you can do at that moment, do it. And sometimes for me, it was getting my butt out of bed and moving to the couch. And I'm applauding myself. Great job. You know that. And that was my all in. And that's where we have to continuously be flexible with our definitions, definitions of all in definitions of what is success, you know, definitions of happiness. And the fact that my girls were still happy and my, my family, we still have a roof over our head and my family is healthy. That's success. That was, you know, that was my motivation for me, but I was so focused on the external locus of control. I was so focused on the extrinsic motivators because that's what got me out of bed. If I didn't have my daughters, I probably would still be in that bed because I didn't have a why because my brain had completely shut down. Uh, you know, that the amygdala just went on and said, no, like I'm done. Like I can't do this anymore, but I knew I had to get out. And so the external factors played a huge role and having friends that supported me, having my students being there for me, having my husband take care of the kids as I'm in my bed crying. Um, but then it started to transform into my internal. 
of I'm going to seal my own fate. I am going to put myself in positions that's going to allow me to be unapologetically me. So my daughters can be unapologetically them because I don't want them to have to wait until they're 40 years old, had to go through a major life challenge to be able to look in the mirror and see pure beauty. And the more I can be authentically me and be as vulnerable as possible that when I'm having a bad day, I'm going to tell my girls, you know, like, Hey mom just needs a couple minutes right now. Like I don't want to put life that it's all, you know, sunshine and rainbows because it's not. And, you know, that's what scares me about my oldest. She's almost 11 and, you know, she has a phone, but she's not allowed to have any social media because we compare ourselves to that one picture on Instagram that took 20 minutes to post and the right filter. And so they're going to compare their entire life for the next 20 years based upon one picture that is only representing uh, 1% of that person's life. And the more in control we can be, the more of having that internal locus control of my why. Yes, my why is for my daughters, but now my why is for me. It is for me to stand tall and to show other women that we are not our hair. Our hair does not identify us. Our physical characteristics do not identify us. It is how we show up in this world and our character that truly defines us. And so now it's become my mission and my purpose to spread it to the masses. Like I will not sleep until I have, my story has been shared with millions and millions. And that's, you know, how I've been able to transform it from that external to the internal. But, you know, I would be you know remiss if I didn't say it's still for my daughters because they're, my daughters are my life and they're my everything. Uh, but it's, it's been fun watching and introspecting on that transition, that transformation over the past seven years. Yeah. It's fascinating because you talk about your why and you have your internal why and kind of your ex- extrinsic why, and also the, the extrinsic locus of control yeah. and things like that. Um, we can get into the psychology another time, yeah. but I think the other thing that's really fascinating too, is like, you have this, you might have this main why, and maybe it's your daughters, maybe it's your family that you kind of keeps you pushing forward, but there's so many people that you continue to impact again, whether you see it or not, whether it's through your conversations on clubhouse, whether it's through your summits or any of your other passion projects that you have, whether it's through your teaching your coaching, there's so many ways that you're impacting people. So, exactly. and before I let you go at the end of the episode, I have a challenge for each of the listeners that the guest creates that is either a habit or specific action that anybody can anybody can physically do today or tomorrow that relates to our conversation that will ideally help them move forward. So, you know, it's ironic because I'm putting on a summit called Challenge Yourself. And that's what our podcast is called. It's called Challenge Yourself. And I love not only challenging myself, I challenge my husband, I challenge my daughters. And so what I want to challenge the listeners. And what I want to challenge you is to, when you are going through a daily hassle of being at the grocery store and there's a long line and you're running late or being in traffic, whatever it may be, I challenge you to stop in your tracks. And I want you to say it out loud. Am I in control of this? If the answer is no, take a deep breath, realize what you are in control over. And that is your attitude about the situation. 
and be patient and take that time to say hi to someone in the grocery store line. And that will open up so that human connection that we are fiending for every single day. And so realize and challenge yourself to realize what you are and are not in control over. I love the practicality of that because it's, I think it's one thing when people say, you got to know what you're in control over versus not in control over. But then I think it's another to verbally say it in those moments and, and force yourself to, to bring it to your conscious. So that's a great idea. I, I love that challenge and I will definitely be doing that. So yeah, thank you again for all of the insight, the wisdom, advice, the challenge. Where else can people find you? Yeah. Besides my website, they can find me on Instagram at McKenna Writes. Uh, same thing with all social medias. I made it pretty simple and I would love to connect and help out in any way.